class. Please be quiet. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network presents Film Studies. episode of Film Studies here with the RPG Academy. My name is Chris, and I am joined by... <laughs> Michael. Uh, May. I'm Callie. <laughs> <laughs> and we're off to an excellent start. Perfect. Um, so in, uh, in Film Studies, uh, my understanding of how this goes is we, um, we talk about uh, movies... And then we talk about how they are things that can be used in their games. And if other, if previous episodes of film studies uh, didn't do it that way, well, that's how we're going to do this episode. So um, I laid out a nice, uh, lovely outline and agenda. And, uh, you know, I would hate to see it not be followed, although I fully expect it to not be followed because that's just kind of the way podcasts go. So the, um, uh, the movie that we're going to be discussing here today... Uh, is the Western, I guess you would call it Western horror, really. Um, unless you guys think that it maybe would fit into I mean, it's a Western for sure, but what, is, there, is there a subgenre that you would put it in? Is it just like a thriller or what? I definitely would say Western horror myself. Um, I would also go, like, if we're talking about it in terms of role-playing games, I would say Weird West. Yeah, I could I could get behind that. I can get behind that. Well, actually, I want to kind of come back to that point because that's one of the things I do want to talk about. But the movie, in case you were wondering uh, what it is that we're talking about, we're talking about the movie Bone Tomahawk. And this is a, a little known Western. It came out 2015. Uh, it actually stars Kurt Russell uh, playing another sheriff, um, also with facial hair, as well as... Um, Matthew Fox and a couple of people whose names I can't remember at this time. But 
uh, oh, Patrick Wilson, and then I can't remember the other guy who played Chicory. Richard but Jenkins. Anyway, Richard Jenkins, thank you. And, uh, yeah, there was one other person. Uh, oh, Sid. Uh, oh. Well, yep, Sid is in this as well, briefly, but then uh, the uh, the lead female. Uh, the lead, oh, Dwyer? I hate that term, Lil female, Simmons? sorry. Uh, the lead actress. Yes, Lily yeah. Simmons. Yes, that's her. Yep. And the, 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 the general plot of the movie it has to do with um, a, a tribe. I don't know if you'd call them an exile tribe, but a, a very obscure tribe of uh, Native Americans who you learn are cannibalistic and live in some caves who have kidnapped um, one of the members or two of the members of the, of the town of Bright Hope and uh, these four characters go out on a rescue mission and things quickly go downhill from there. So I don't know if I'd say quickly. <laughs> no, well, I, you know what? Let's actually, let's, well, first of all, let's actually, before we get into some of those details, um, I know that the three of you had not seen this movie before um, when I recruited you for this. And I remember looking at uh, our Discord channel uh, when May was watching it <laughs> And <laughs> yeah. reading reading her reaction reading her reactions to it, and so let's let's just gush about the movie here for a few minutes before we actually go into some practical stuff. But I mean, what was it about the movie that really, for all of you guys, that really kind of drew you in? What did you really like about it? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Can oh, you be a bit more specific? I, I really really love like horror type movies and scary kind of movies and. The, the big deal with this one for me is there are a lot of sounds that you can't see what goes with these sounds. And mm. sounds are really scary to me. Like, I love it. I thrive on that. <laughs> so it, there was just a lot of things that you didn't know because you can hear them, but you couldn't see them. What about you, Kelly? Uh, I found it never really let you recover. Um, the pacing of it just felt different from most movies um like big hollywood movies anyways it 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 was just like i mean even the opening scene it's just like bam knife to the throat it's like oh okay we're we're doing that all right <laughs> and then it just didn't really let you rest like as soon as you thought that it's like okay i can take a breath here it was like bam something else Actually, Kelly, I had forgotten about how this movie opened because I had seen it before, but I, I went and sat down and rewatched it, and I had forgot. You talk about that opening scene. Um, I had completely forgot how this movie opened, and it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's intense right from yeah. the get-go. Yeah, it grabs on and doesn't really give you a chance to wriggle free. <laughs> no, it doesn't, and it, and it does it, and we, we'll get to this too, but it, yeah, it does it in a lot of interesting ways and not necessarily in your stereotypical horror movie slash gore mm -hmm. kind of ways. But Michael, what, um, uh, what about you? And as far as like, what really, what were the things that really hit you that you liked about the movie? See, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big Western guy. I love Westerns. Uh, I've, I've come to them later in my life. I didn't like them when I was younger, but I kind of do now. And what I really liked about this is the tone that it set from the start it kept the tone through and kind of to go back to what Callie was saying, the pacing, I found the pacing to be just about perfect because the movie moves slowly, but deliberately. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, every scene, 
uh, is timed out and paced out so that they're building and building. Even on the slower scenes where there's not a lot of action, there's a lot of dialogue, you're getting a lot of character moments, you're getting a lot of uh, a lot more interaction mm-hmm. to build toward that last third of the movie that then just starts to hammer by uh, when that last third hits. And uh, and to go back to what May was saying too, the the sound, it's funny, I was thinking about this uh, before we started recording, and I didn't get... Normally, like when I watch a movie, like I, I notice the music. Yeah. And in this movie, I I found as I went back to try to remember the film and, and kind of just like pieces I liked, the music didn't stand out, and that made me like question. I was like, was there much music? I don't remember there being much music, and usually that's something yeah. that would stand out for me. But the sound engineering, like you're right, just the when things are happening off camera, it, there's a lot of very crisp and clear and wet noises. Yeah, great. And you're not, and you can't <laughs> be sure what's happening except for what you know the characters are describing. Uh, and of course, uh, as you get into the later film, things get a little more visual. visual. Yeah. Uh, yes. But yeah, yeah. I, I think just overall, it was very well written. I think the cast was a little underrated. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like I, you know, when I saw the people in the cast, I was like, I can't believe I missed this exactly. movie. Mm-hmm. So surprising. Yeah, that was, I was surprised. I was surprised with that as well. Just, I mean, with Kurt Russell alone should have been enough to at least, you know, raise a, a little bit of attention. But yeah, when you put everybody else in there, it would, it made me feel that same way. It's like, how could this not have gotten more attention? For me, the the biggest thing there well, there was well the biggest thing for sure for me was um, the the dialogue, which kind of goes to what you had said about the writing and that the way in which they spoke was so not the way we speak, and the the the, the words they used, the phrasing of the sentences, all of those things just did wonders to actually pull me right into, you know, the year that this movie was taking place. And I felt, I felt as if this was exactly how people in that era were supposed to talk. And um, so that, that helped suck me in. And then it was just so the dialogue just flowed in, I don't know, just in such a way that it just, it helped. I think it helped set some of the pace uh, for me. Mm -hmm. And then the, um, the, the surprising amount of humor, especially in the face of uh, some of the grim situations that they ended up finding themselves in. And, and yeah, most of them, you know, nine contrast. times out of ten. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And it, was, it, and it was almost, and it was, it was one of those things where, for me, it's like, it looks like it should have been comic relief, but because of the character that was coming from, the character of Chicory, it almost really wasn't comic relief because it had been established that this was kind of just how he talks mm-hmm. um, and how he looks at the world. So, yeah, very uh, uh, very good movie on the whole. I mean, just even if you don't end up pulling anything from this to use for your games, I think that this is... Uh, just a, it's a fascinating movie to, to watch. So just want to throw this out there real quick uh, because yes. we haven't mentioned it yet. For anyone listening up until this point, there's going to be spoilers. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just heads up, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot about this movie. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet and you want to see it, pause this, go watch the movie, come back and listen, uh, or pause the show, not the movie. You want to watch <laughs> the movie. Uh, but yeah, if you don't want spoilers, pause us right now. Come back when you're done with the movie, because from here on out, it's probably going to get pretty, uh, pretty spoiler heavy. Yeah. Good Lots. point. Good point. 
So let's uh, let's actually talk about some of the specifics uh, from the from the movie and its adaptability into games. And, and part of the reason why we have this cast that we have assembled here is half of us are predominantly uh, GMs, and the other half are predominantly players. And I wanted to make sure that we have a good mix because I think that there are things that both sides of that screen, the GM screen, if you want to uh, use that term, can uh, take and use in their games or to help them either with character development, setting, uh, tone in the game, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I want to, you know, I don't want to start with GMs or players specifically first, but so if any, uh, but I do want to allow any of you the opportunity to jump in so I'll stop talking as far as you know what was a specific thing that you saw or experienced that you thought I could totally use that or I should totally use that in my game and if none of you have one right off the top of your head I will gladly go first go ahead yeah. all right after um, you well thank you very much <laughs> if um, one of you had mentioned um, the pacing earlier and one of the things because i agree with you that the pacing of this movie was extremely well done and, and one of the things i liked about it in regards to if you are playing a horror based type game or even if you're playing a regular game and this particular session or two happens to be something geared towards horror and i'm coming really from the gm's perspective here is the way in which everything kind of proceeded in a very mundane fashion. Um, yes, there was tension because of the circumstances at hand, but they were, in the beginning of the movie, after, after, the, um, uh, after she was kidnapped or, or abducted, I guess, and they went and they talked to the professor who was this, I guess, westernized Native American who essentially gave them very dire warnings as to who these people were that had taken her and that they honestly should not go do this. I mean, he warned them right up front, you're going to die. And they tried to make him come with, and he's like, no, I'm not going to come with because I don't want to <laughs> die because he knew what was going to happen. So, so they got the warning, but they went anyway, and then all of that stuff was just essentially forgotten. And then they just proceeded on in a very normal way. And so, and as they got closer to the third act of the movie, yes, then they got the reminder that, oh, there's things might be getting bad. And then, of course, things got very bad. And that's really when the horror kicked in. And I liked that from an element of the fact that if sometimes when you GM in a horror sense, you feel this compulsion to be constantly dropping all of this stuff that's, you know, horror based, whether it's sounds or sights or descriptions or whatever. And you don't necessarily have to do that. You can get an incredible amount of shock value by keeping everything normal and essentially lulling them, your players into this sense of normalcy um, and then just hammering them, you know, right at the end with all of these horrible things, one right after yeah. the other. I would agree with your point that the when you look at like I'm thinking of this from a player perspective as somebody who is maybe sitting at the table while this adventure is unfolding and you know when you get that warning from the NPC who basically is like these this is a horrible situation you I wouldn't do this don't even risk your life on this and we'd like you to come with us no I ref, I flat out refuse myself and my people will not have anything to do with this because this is so horrible uh 
I mean, that sets the tone for the player uh, that they are walking into a situation that is perilous, but then also it, it, it does give them that point of reference to say, okay, well, uh, we're going to do this anyway, make the, making the heroic choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of feel like that's what this party did that, you know, in this, in this movie, they were blatantly warned that these people they were going to go up against, you know, basically told right off the people that were kidnapped, they're gone. Don't go do this. You're wasting your time. You're all going to die. There's also a sense of um, familiarity with the enemy because obviously in Western movies, conflict with the natives is very common. In fact, that's probably one of the most common enemies portrayed for the you know Western Americans. And so perhaps thinking like, well, this is another conflict. We've been there, done that. So, you know, we've survived the past conflicts. We can take this no problem. Yeah, so I don't, I don't yeah. think it was very heroic, really. I think it's just like, like Kelly said, it's commonplace and it's, you know, not a big deal. We'll just go take care of them. You know, but that's actually, yes, and that's actually a good point too, Kelly, that you make is that it was this sense of, and it was almost personified in that line when they shot the two uh, Mexicans who had come up into their camp. And the line after that, when he said, you know, Mr. Bruder just showed these two Mexicans the meaning of manifest destiny. And, you know, which is this very American-centric mode of behavior uh, at that time that you know this is we're here now this is our land and there's nothing that's going to get in our way to stop it and even despite the warnings you know and then they then that that belief system you know ran headlong into the awfulness when they finally encountered all the troglodytes yeah Yeah. i'd like to uh, also and I'll just keep going here and then I'll shut up for good, <laughs> or at least for a while, or at least for a little while. But this is, and this goes back to what you were saying, Michael, about the, um, the Weird West aspect of it. Because to me, Weird West implies something, and maybe this is because I, I have a little bit of Deadlands uh, bias to this, but it implies a supernatural element to all of this. And in this movie, it was it was somewhat implied, but when when the rubber met the road, there was no supernatural element to this at all. And you know they they had these troglodyte this troglodyte tribe had this ability to make these incredible sounds from you know from their mouth and these roars and these screams. And so you kept wondering you know when is the when's the supernatural bomb going to drop here? And it never did. You know, and it was made very plainly clear that it was just something that they had worked into their throats that allowed them to do this. And it was incredibly mundane. And they were indeed just human beings, just like the rest of them. Um, and it didn't take away from the horror intensity of it, but it showed that you can have things that, you know, do go bump in the night, but are completely explainable, but yet still horrifying. And I liked that. Makes it more real. It did make it more real, and in a certain sense, more scary. I guess. Yeah. I I I got from, uh, yeah, the the lack of supernatural, but still sort of um, 
something other than human, like otherworldly, even though they were just humans and they had perhaps surgically implanted these things in themselves as some sort of uh, ritual, perhaps, or however they got them. But it was just something other than what you would expect to find in other humans. You know, I think I found that aspect of it really um, <laughs> got to me. <laughs> You know, it was just like, well, these are people, and I am a people, so I know how people should behave. And then you meet them, and it's like, oh, that's that's not, oh, <laughs> and it just mm -hmm. touched something like primal, I guess, almost that was like something about this isn't right. They look like people, and they move like people but it's just there's something else about them even with no magic or supernatural abilities it just got to me <laughs> <laughs> got got you on, on, a, on a fear yes. sense yes mm -hmm. the great thing about the movie i think is that there's a lot of a lot of the things that's left up to your own imagination which can make it a lot more scary for sure yes that's true because when they were in their cave complex, you never really got to see anything beyond that central cave room and a little bit of the hallway out where they kept the um, I I don't know what would you call them the I guess the two the two concubines, women concubines breeders concubines breeders yeah. Breeders. yeah. 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 <laughs> which was which was this lovely last bit of of like creep you out factor as you left mm -hmm. you know. Um, or as the movie was was uh, was concluding, but you never really got to see like how exactly they lived. You only got this little tiny slice of of what these people were. And I found that interesting too, um, especially comparing to what I continue to call the typical Hollywood film, where they more or less give you the information at some point, like they'll explain how these people got here or what they are doing or why they are this way. And you don't get that in this movie. It's more like they explain how they make the noises out of their throat, but that's it. They don't, there's mm -hmm. no like origin story. There's no legends. There's no shot of their cave. Like there's no, there's nothing that you sort of, well, I have come to expect of films these days. Nor was there any conclusive evidence that they were completely eliminated. Yes. I mean, they they, they yeah. implied it with the three shots at the end when they figured that there was only three of them left. But, you know, he could easily have missed. He wasn't in a condition uh, to be able to necessarily get off three effective mm -hmm. shots. I really loved that end scene though with the stone yeah. ah, just mm -hmm. loved it <laughs> it's not really big or flashy it's just eh. well that was another thing is there's no bow on top you know things aren't tied up neatly and finished it's like well life has to go on so mm-hmm mm -hmm. And something else, like from a from a player perspective, uh, when you think about the way that the the movie played out, but then also the the way that the the enemy is presented, uh, especially as, as you get to the end and you start to realize what they're facing, you have an enemy that can't be reasoned with, can't be dealt with, mm -hmm. 
there's no uh, there's no like there's no elaborate speech. There's no you know there's no ha ha ha. Here's the here's why we did what yeah. we did. It is literally just this force that is acting on the heroes, or you know who the people you consider the the protagonists, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's just acting on them, and they are forced to react in ways that they have to react um, because there's nothing else they can really mm-hmm. do. Um, and it's interesting to see that played out that way too because oftentimes as a player in a game, uh, you know, it's very rare unless you're talking about like, you know, creatures you'll come across or, or grunt enemies that you face uh, while you're playing. Typically, there's usually some kind of big bad, and that big bad usually has some kind of plan, and there's usually some kind of interaction with them, you know, that lays out the plan, or in in some case, lays out what the expectation is or what the players have to do to defeat Mm -hmm. them. Um, This is a situation where, in many of the, like, as in many of the horror games I've played, where it's just a force and there is nothing you can do but react. you can plan all you want, but at the end of the day, your plan's likely going to fall apart. And at the, at the end of the day, it is, it's, it's life or death. And that's all that you really have at that point. It's flee or fight. And most of the time you're not in a position to flee. Yeah. It's kind of stuck. Which is how, what our, our protagonists found themselves in, you know, uh, that last third of the movie. Right. They were, they were, they were so close. Um, they had to see it through, and yeah, leaving yeah uh, wasn't an option, um, you know. And for some some of the characters, they they weren't going to leave no matter what, which you know essentially forced the hand of the other ones to go along with them. That was um, that was also one of the things I think I really liked about it. And this was for the bulk of the movie, because the bulk of the movie really was them just traveling to the destination, mm-hmm. and you got a different, you know, most of the time in these Westerns, in, in Westerns or even in non-Westerns, when when the characters make camp, they just go ahead and they make camp. But you got a definite sense in this movie of how difficult and sometimes physically demanding uh, making camp was. And that's, I mean, the one guy's injury aside, which we can talk about here in yeah. a minute, but the you know the camp was not easy um you you had to be constantly aware of predators thus the tripwires uh you have differing personalities you know and one of the things too is that i really got a sense for how hard the ground was that they were sleeping on um i don't know if it was the authentic look of their little sleeping bags that they had or what it was but i mean it just looked so uncomfortable to be sleeping there, to be out in camp, or in the or when they had to make a cold camp. Yeah, their thin little canvas layer between them and the dust and the sparse you, grass. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the things that drew my eye when they made camp. Is that I didn't think in most of like the westerns or western TV shows I've seen, I didn't recall ever seeing anything like that little canvas sleeping bag. Usually they're just using their horse blankets or, you know, like sleeping on the saddle as a pillow, what have you, you know, but I'd never seen an actual like canvas sleeping bag like that from that time period. It it kind of fascinated me. I was, I was drawn to those little bedrolls. I was, I was, they're noticeable. (laughs) No, it's, 
they were very noticeable. And I think that they added to some of the realism of, of what they were going through. And I, you know, as we were kind of focusing on how does this apply to your games, it made me think, you know, okay, so as a GM, okay, so they, they go, the characters, they make camp, you know, what can I do to either have them interact with this environment so that there's not that I want to necessarily apply like penalties to my characters because, oh, your back is sore today or whatever, (laughs) but, but to introduce those kinds of elements to help kind of recreate some of those experiences that you would have um, in camp. Because if you think about it, the two, the two Mexicans that came up, those guys, that was a wandering monster encounter. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. well, those dogs or the coyotes or whatever they were when that got in the tripwire the first yeah. time. Same yeah. thing, exactly. Exactly. Um, le- you know what? And so let's let's actually, since we mentioned it, let's go and talk about that. This is um, the why can I not remember Patrick Wilson's character? Arthur. Um, mi- Arthur. Arthur. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. He... I'm going to tell you right now. May took May took notes. May wrote everything down. <laughs> I, I have everything on a list. I have actor name. I have screen name. Damn. <laughs> they um, he. It is very clear that that dude Arthur he should not have been traveling. You know, oh. obviously you 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 know he was going to because it was his wife that was taken. But he should not be traveling. So if you want to put it into a hit point sense or health points or whatever, this guy's injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so how do you how do you go about dealing with that kind of thing? Because, I mean, if you looked at it from a straight number standpoint, saying you're just stuck at five hit points or whatever, we'll pick on D&D. Um, you know, he can still travel at a normal pace in that game, but obviously in the movie he can't, and that's real. And I think that that is a, becomes an interesting challenge for a player to overcome. I don't know. What do you guys think about something like that? I would almost think that that would start to become like a constitution um, issue because pain takes its toll very quickly on the body. Even if, you know, you're only down five hit points or something the the pain that you're enduring over time and over the day and with each step like that's wearing down your endurance so i i don't know i would almost like exhaustion levels yeah maybe and like obviously it would affect your speed but i would say depending on how well maybe a, a couple constitution rolls depending on how long you're traveling and how well you do there that's going to affect how far you can go um maybe you open the wound again and you're starting to lose some more hit points yeah well, he didn't get and he didn't really get better at all at that point and the <laughs> no. only time he was is when he had his uh tincture of opium so there's your health right, potion so that, that- yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Basically, it helped relieve the pain, but also could have uh, it could have reduced his um, his accuracy, mm-hmm. his ability to hit things. Initiative, yeah. initiative. Yeah. They also they split the party. Oh yeah. Um, and they, but but they had yeah. to. You know, if you think about it, they really kind of had to do that. Um, but they didn't. You know, obviously they didn't want to. But they had. But there was no way they were going to get there fast enough if they marched as fast as their slowest party member. Yeah. The time like saves. It was very sad when when um, Bruder had to shoot his horse. <laughs> I was so sad. It it was. It was. They a very lost sad their thing. balance. We, 
but it makes sense you know the again almost another encounter mm-hmm. in a certain way from that from that uh gaming standpoint where you know yeah you could have your mount straight up stolen right from you um a sneaky move from the dm <laughs> it is but it's a re- but it's a realistic possibility in in that type of situation yeah. it's not an actual fight you just lose something that you it's kind of necessary to survival yeah is that a fair thing to do though at a table? Yeah. I mean, if you know, if you, I mean, if you're if you're a player, and you're you basically, and the person does take watch, but they fail their you know sleep test or whatever, so they do fall asleep. Is it a fair thing in a game to just straight up take it? You don't give anybody a chance to like wake up while the things are being stolen or whatever, but you just straight up steal it. Would I mean, is that a fair thing to do? Is that a you know in a but game? It happens. Well, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's the question, right? When you, when you say fair, like, I, I mean, it's it's a hardship, right? Hardships aren't supposed to be fair. It's true. Mm-hmm. And hardships are what makes stories interesting. Things like that happen in movies all the time. Why not the game? I would imagine it depends on the players as well. I mean, as a GM, you kind of know the pulse of your players and what they do and don't like and how they may react to something like that. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. That's because, true. That's true. Um, yeah, if you know, if you have, if you have players who do get a little overly sensitive to that kind of thing, uh, that could be a problem. But yet, um, you know, I agree with you. It is. A, it like you said, Michael. It is a hardship, and they happen, um, and they're not supposed to be fair. You know, I guess if it, I guess if it's properly balanced, and your players do trust you. You know, then you have that that opportunity to you know put them through this kind of ringer, um, and give them the opportunity to come out mm-hmm. of it. I think that goes back to what what Callie said. I mean, it really all depends on your group, right? I don't, I don't, I don't DM or GM myself, but I, I think that's probably a very important thing that you have to keep in mind when you're running a game, right? You have to know the people at your table and how they play, and the types of things that they are okay with or accept, right? And oftentimes you might discuss those things in like a session zero, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, but especially for established groups, like you you know what your people, you know what what they're going to be okay with and what they won't be, and and you can plan for that as as a GM, I would think to an extent. Mm-hmm. No, I would agree. I'd agree with that. So let's um, let's talk a little bit because one of the things I'd put in the outline was the whole um, uh, the PvP aspect of it um, that. You know, in the movie, it certainly existed. There, what they this group did not necessarily get along, and it was mainly because of, of Bruder. Oh, I love Bruder. I know, right? He is a <laughs> he him. is a, he is a great character, <laughs> and he um and I, I I'm curious to hear like how you guys would define him, but I kind of defined him. He's in a certain sense, he's like a noble racist. I mean, he's a horribly racist asshole, and you get that sense during the movie several times um but at the same time you you tell you can tell he's a he is a man of integrity his own maybe self-imposed integrity but you know he didn't have to go on that mission but he did because he felt a responsibility to arthur's wife or so he said or so, so he, he said. said. Yeah. See, and <laughs> <That's> I, <good laughs> <point. laughs> I'll say this: I take issue with the use of the word noble. Okay. Because I feel like the portrayal of the character through the course of the movie is someone who cares only about the things that he is after. 
uh, and, and it's a very self-serving sense of nobility. It is not actually someone who is doing something noble for because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Um, yeah. It's 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 self-serving, and to me, that's the opposite of noble. That's that's not something that you do out of you. You're not doing something because you feel it's the right thing. You feel it's it's something that works for you, uh, or something that benefits you in some form or fashion. Um, well, you know, and I guess, and I guess the reason I chose that, it, and but Callie, you made a very good point on this, is that I interpreted his intentions to because he felt that responsibility towards Arthur's wife because he was her escort. But yeah, maybe we we I, we never do find out, you know, because it is it's implied in here that maybe he had in, intentions towards Arthur's wife, even though he admitted that that was years ago, quote unquote. But maybe, yeah, maybe it was very self-serving. Uh, in the sense, maybe he figured Arthur wasn't going to make it, and then he could slide on in there. Well, the thing that I got out of it more, especially when they gave him the opportunity to go a bit into his backstory, was that he saw this as an opportunity to kill more natives. And Mm -hmm. uh, given the backstory that he reveals, he has a deep-seated hatred for them because he lost family to uh native attack i guess he doesn't go into too much detail but um given his tally uh that was <laughs> what i got out of it was that he was just looking to you know get more notches on his belt so to speak yeah no that's true that's very true it's attempt an attempt by the writers to to humanize the brutality mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he can, he's so brutal because this bad thing happened to him in his past, you know. And I mean, yeah. we've people we've done that with characters before, right? To an extent, you yeah. you give your character some kind of tragic backstory that that kind of makes up for the fact that they may not be the best of people, uh, gives them some kind of reason to be doing the thing that they're doing. And you do it with your villains too when you're when you're writing villains. I mean, you know, um, in this particular case, it's someone who. If we want to relate him to somebody like the Punisher, right? Punisher loses his family, so now he can he he can feel okay to go out and just kill any criminal he sees without remorse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it puts you. It tries to put the viewer in that frame of mind. Well, of course, he's going to be this brutal killer of savages and and you know natives because you know he lost family members early in his life. Uh, I, I I don't necessarily think that plays as well anymore as it used to. Uh, but again, it's it's part of that type of character that you would have probably seen at that time. Uh, at the time this at the time the movie takes place, there's probably lots of people that were using certain excuses to go out and and clear out the west of natives, yeah. right? More yeah. room for us, more more places for us. This is our land. He did, you know, and I'll I'll I'll, ta- I'll I'll stay on that side of of um, quote unquote defending him just for the sake, just for argument's sake here on this. In that, while I certainly do agree that he was extremely self centered uh, and very focused on, you know, yes, his own personal goals. There, there's two, well, at least one. No, no, there's two, two particular spots where he showed. Um, that the team that he was on did have value to him at at some point. You know, that moment when he shared the German, when he shared the telescope, mm-hmm. 
with Chicory, who he absolutely would not have trusted earlier in the movie, and it was there was an exchange to that effect yeah. when he let him when he let him use it. Um, that that clearly showed to me that either he was softening or he you know something was changing within him in regards to that. Um, I don't know what, but something definitely had changed. And I think when he was finally, and here comes a spoiler, when he was finally on his way out the door and he was dying, um, I think his, uh, you know, his ability to, or his desire to want to sacrifice himself, even if it was, as you pointed out, for to, you know, probably get a few more notches, um, I think that he also knew what he was doing was probably going to help guarantee or at least increase their chances of success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe a too little, too late, but a little uh, virtue at the end, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. It, oh, yeah, it was. It, I mean, it wasn't going to make up for all of his past crimes. But I, I guess to 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 bring this back around to um, how does it relate at the table? Because, like I said, as far as characters go, none of these characters really fit very well in a team, and there was some antagonism there but yet at the same time they still did acknowledge the hierarchy i mean the sheriff clearly was in charge um and everybody did follow his instructions even though they butted heads about it at times and i think sometimes i think players can get locked into feeling like they can't do that you know, if, especially if there's like alignment restrictions, like they have to be a certain way because, well, my alignment says this, as opposed to, you know, making adjustments on a case-by-case basis, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, um, when I began running the campaign I'm running now, I told my players, uh, you know, Choose your alignment if you want to, but don't focus on it. <laughs> play your character how you play your character because situations change and things are fluid and people are different and, you know, nothing's black and white. So trying to fit your character to the alignment is going to be a lot harder than just playing your character to the situation. Um And I think that that helped them, especially because I had a a player who had never played an RPG before. I think that allowed her to embrace the role play a little bit easier. Um, But it, the movie definitely reminded me of like a new party. (laughs) And they're just like (laughs) getting to know each other. And, you know, the, there's a lot of rough edges that need to be smoothed out. And, um, you know, people are, they're, are acknowledging of the hierarchy but still kind of like pushing the pushing the envelope a little you know checking boundaries and toeing the line a little just like "Eh, how much can i get away with (laughs) (laughs) no that's very yeah no it's very true i mean it yeah it certainly happened in here and i and i like to sometimes see that at tables uh and again this goes back to knowing your players, but I think on your part, that was actually a really good coaching move, especially if you have new players there, um, so that you know they're aware that they shouldn't feel bound by those types of constraints because sometimes they can feel like constraints as opposed to here's a general path of behavior, but you don't always have to follow on that mm-hmm. path. Well, yeah. and and I like even that. within the movie. You know, the behaviors don't necessarily always align with their alignment. For example, the sheriff, 
you could say is either lawful good or lawful neutral he didn't want the mexicans to be shot he wanted to give them a fair chance and yet once he gets to the cave all bets are off and he's prepared to act just as savagely as their captors so Mm -hmm. you know situations change people change Yeah, and the circumstances can sometimes dictate your behavior in that mm-hmm. moment. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a very good point. I think it's important to remember, too, that, you know, again, like when we talk about the roles around the table, you know, as, as uh, Kelly explained, uh, that, well, that's a bit west way to put this. <laughs> Alignments, again, aren't carved in stone. They aren't hard rules. They're more like guidelines. Mm-hmm. Especially now, the way we play games now, and with the with the bevy of systems that are out there, many of them have dropped alignments altogether. Yep. You know, if we're yeah, going back yeah. to if we're even if we're looking at D and D, alignments are presented as here's a, a general idea of how your character might act, but that doesn't cover all situations. And as as everyone kind of explained, I mean, the sheriff is a good example of someone who is considered a good character, but at the and at, at the end is going to do what is they have to do to survive and try to save the people mm-hmm. they're with. Yeah. Not to uh, jump around, but that made me, your, your mentioning of that in this discussion made me think back to, to the point in the movie after the sheriff and Chicory had been captured and they were placed in their cell and they started having the discussion with Arthur's wife. Um, and she was not happy to be rescued. Uh, she she had resigned herself to the fate that she figured was going to happen, um, and you know, and and she was very angry at them for allowing her husband to uh, come after her. You know, she wanted to essentially, in a sense, sacrifice herself so her husband then could live and not have to end up with the same fate as her. And I I kind of liked that aspect of her being genuinely not happy with the whole rescue idea. Well, if you consider her perspective, she's Mm -hmm. already witnessed someone ripped apart and eaten. And she knows that that's her fate in a matter of time. But now the so-called rescue party is in the cell opposite her. Yeah. And <laughs> um, as far as she blatantly calls him, yeah. And as far as she knows, yeah. that's the rescue party until they're like, "Oh no, your husband's here too." And she's like, "What? The dude with the busted leg? Are you joking?" And so, I mean, <laughs> from that perspective, this doesn't really seem like a rescue so much as, well, now they have more food. yeah so i can understand her being a little ticked (laughs) oh yeah no absolutely and i i I think that that in a certain sense too just you know from a movie consumption standpoint um was a very refreshing Mm -hmm. thing because because it seemed in a lot of ways very honest you know very genuine and i like that and i think that you know again to spin it to a table most of the time, you know, that kind of thing doesn't happen in games. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be interesting to present that type of situation to players and their characters when they come in, you know, thinking that they're going to rescue and thinking in their head, oh, I'm Luke Skywalker in the Death Star. 
Uh, but instead, no, actually, no, I'm not really that happy to see you. Thank you very much. You know, you idiot. Yeah. Why did you come in? Why did you come in? <laughs> now we're all in this. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it's, it would be interesting to see how players would react to such a thing, um, you know, having that presented. Because I think that they would also go into that with those expectations that this person is going to be so grateful for being rescued mm-hmm. uh, and to experience the other side of it, I think, is a, um, an interesting idea to play with in a session. I would be intrigued to see how they would react where they are the prisoners and then there's an NPC party that shows up and it's like, we're here to rescue you. Oh, but we're captured. And now the party <laughs> and the NPCs are captured. <laughs> I wonder how that mm-hmm. would play out. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's actually, that's a really good, that's actually a good idea. I like that. I think that that, that could be fun yeah. as well because I think you have this, you know, some players have this preservation technique or, or preservation instinct in regards to their characters because they don't want to bother, you know, rolling up another one yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah. sticking them in that situation like that and with the buildup, because if you, if you played out the scenes that clearly Arthur's wife experienced, and I'm saying Arthur's wife because I cannot remember her name either. <laughs> May help me out. Oh, Arthur's wife. It is. Lily. I have it here. Lily. No, oh, oh, Samantha. 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 The least the actress. actress. That's, that's her name. <laughs> I kept so, thinking Willie, Sam- but yeah, Samantha. So if you were to go through some of the scenes so that your captured PCs experienced what Samantha clearly had experienced, um, that might help that sink into them that, you know, A, there's not going to be any rescue for you. You know, you're going to be food, and anybody else who comes to find you is probably also going to be food, especially if those NPCs were people that they cared mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, having them witness, you know, their potential fate would definitely build the gravity of the situation. Because I feel like there's some players who go into RPG games and it's like, well, you know, I know that uh, this is set up for us to win, so let's win. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, you're here. Like they're invincible. Yeah. yeah. I like that it happens so close. So maybe something really close in proximity mm. that's awful to the players. Yeah. Like those those cells weren't that far from where they just split that to guy. To make them feel helpless. Yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we talk about that scene? Um, <laughs> just... before, we, before we dig into that, I want to talk about the horror in general. Okay. Uh, I didn't take a ton of notes, but the notes I took were more about the way that the movie used the horror, the horror genre to -hmm. kind of push the story forward a bit. And I want to just kind of go back to a couple things on that if we can, before we dive into what is possibly one of the most visceral scenes I've ever seen (laughs) in a movie period. Um, So like, and these are things I think from a player's standpoint, like I noticed in the movie that if if these were described to me at the table, it really would have set a, an interesting tone for the players around us and, and the rest of the game. So like in the first sequence, you've got like the the robbery and then the the eventual attempt at escape. Right. Um, then you've got the the skulls buried in the walls. You've got the kind of the quietness and the and then all of a sudden those haunting noises from the from the what we find out to be the enemy um and then they they give you that stark burial ground imagery right yeah. away and it, it really sets it puts a, a start on this movie that this is not going to be a typical western um this is not going to be 
uh, a pleasant journey for you. Um, the, to move on then to like the second sequence of kind of like a second attack sequence that happens in a stable, right? And again, you've got kind of those classic horror tones. You've got the a slow approach. Uh, things are kind of murky and dark. You can't really, you see some, some blurred movement and then mm-hmm. a very quick, a very quick kill, a very quick action. And then they cut to the next day when the scene is discovered and there's just the the gore and then you realize the, that people are missing and it just ratchets that ratchets that tension up really high really quickly and people aren't just missing uh, they're missing from the jail from the sheriff's yes. office like places. the safest right. place in town has been violated mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quite intense mm. Uh, and then to move on from there, you've got, uh, you know, again, they're, they're building dialogue. There's, there's movement. There's, there's, you know, you're building the characters. But then they move to that first camp sequence where they, where they set that expectation of tension with our, our, one of our party members setting up a trap. Mm-hmm. Like going to the point of like explaining the trap and setting up the trap. So you know the trap is going to be set off. It, it, again, it kind of gives you that expectation of a payoff, which the payoff happens and it's not what you anticipate, but again around the around the table to have that kind of thing happen would have been a very interesting addition to the story that's happening at the yeah. moment um and not only was there not a pay not only i mean you saw the payoff and it was a little bit unexpected but the but the trap also failed later on oh yeah definitely and that's yeah. uh that's what i was going to actually get to is that, that that second camp sequence right um when they, they, they find the intruders, they take care of the intruders, but then uh, they move their camp and they go back to bed. And then the next scene is the sound. Do you get Arthur waking up? I believe it mm-hmm. was Arthur. Yeah. Waking mm-hmm. up to just, again, to kind of go back to what May talked about earlier, the sounds of stabbing. Yeah. Like the, somebody is being assaulted feet away from him. And all you see is the look on his face and you hear, you hear that stabbing noise. And that's something that I'll be honest, it, rarely has ever happened in a game I've ever ever played in where like you wake up to something that visceral happening. Usually you wake up to sounds of combat or you wake up to a battle, but to have somebody somebody describe something like that happening feet away from your character. Right. You're um, not, you're not waking up in the third round of combat. mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, it just like happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, and then from there, I mean, you go from, you get to the ambush and you get to the cave sequence. And again, we're talking about uh, these enemies are like a force. They aren't, you know, they aren't. You can't talk with them. You can't have a discussion with them. You can't no reason parlay. with them. They, they kind of appear. <laughs> they're, they're quiet. They appear out of nowhere. Um, they're, they're there and they're gone. Uh, there are footsteps. Yeah. You know, they're Very heavy. A, it's, it's that sound again, that sound engineering, right? Uh, that really ratches that tension up. But they they do such a good job in this movie of using those typical horror tropes that they used to, you know, would used to scare people in another film. Yeah. But they use them throughout the course of the movie in small doses to build that tension through that journey, and then into this last section of the film when things go batshit crazy, um, and get really super dark, um. And then when they, by the time they get to the cave, like as a viewer, and then also like if you put yourself in a player position, there's literally a sense of helplessness. Like we're, we're boned, we're screwed. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are literally just waiting here to be our chance to be food and everything. (laughs) And we can, we can do everything we can. uh, But 
the the situation is extremely grim. Um, and then, of course, we get to uh, the the pure shock value and horror, genuine horror that uh, the scene creates that we're about to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, and I was I was thinking about that scene and thinking to myself if I had seen something similar after in, in a horror movie, after I had seen a bunch of other types of, you know, gruesome scenes, would I have looked at this as being as uh, intense and as gory as it was? And I think to a certain extent for me, my answer probably would have been yes, but because of the fact that there, you know, Yes, there had been some blood and yes, there had been some violence and everything before that. The level of this violence was so, you know, it it was somewhere around a four maybe for most of the movie. And then suddenly it goes up to 13. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and and so it becomes this this um, this scene where it just it just intensifies the yeah, the shock value of it all. Um, Did you when so when you guys having watched the movie for the first time. Um, I mean, <laughs> did you expect it to go that far? I mean, I guess maybe you kind of expected, I'm, I'm going to assume that you expected maybe a scalping to occur, but then when it obviously went to be so much more, I mean, how would, how did that affect you guys? <laughs> um, well, when I saw it was cannibals in, in the movie, just like reading the little preview thing, like I expected there, there's going to be some gore, there's going to be some blood, um. I had hoped because I am a huge horror buff and I like seeing things like that, which makes me sound weird. I'm sorry, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it when it happened. Not like weird kind of enjoyed, but it's, there's no kink. There's no kink shaming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a scene that you don't see pretty much anywhere outside of weird B movie or C movie horror, horror flicks. You don't see anything like that. I don't think that graphic in any like mainstream movies that are out. Not often. Right. I would say I would I would actually go so far as to say like maybe like Devil's Rejects, right? Or yeah. like House of a Thousand mm-hmm. Corpses, like and those are kind of extreme examples of like really shock horror. Uh, Hellraisers. Right? Hell, uh. You know exactly like that type of thing. But like I think in your your normal even even some of your the torture. You know, they call them torture porn films, I guess, right? Like the Saw movies, that type of stuff. Yeah, like those can those. get those can get graphic, but there was something about the sheer brutality of this that that and you I mean, super it, expect it in those other movies. Like, yeah, I yeah, right. I think that didn't, I that's think what here. set this one apart. Um, because I mean, even though the movie starts with someone getting their throat slit, it's just like it's blood and then it's done and then it moves on. There's no focusing on it. It's just like um any of the violence, even when they cut up the stable boy, the the scene where they show his body, he's partially in darkness. There's a lot of shadow. You can see some organs, but it's it's very like I don't want to say modest, but it's it's not like a full, <laughs> you know, lights are shining on it kind of shot. And even though there's a it's... lot of violence throughout the movie, it's not like um, the sheriff loses Wait. his fingers in the cell. It th- th- There's no focus on it. It's like it happens and then they're moving on. And like if you blink, you miss it. 
And then right. suddenly there's this scene where the camera's not moving and it's just all of it in all this gory glory and it's just, it was <laughs> it never cuts oh, away no. No, you watch yeah. it start yeah, to you finish. can't look away it just keeps you there and it's so much different from all the other shots of violence previously it, i think too with it i think there there is there's like a a, a sub level of the humiliation factor in what happened mm-hmm. and it, in the length of it has something to do with that but i mean you know everything that happens to the deputy when he goes through and he's killed like this is in a certain way it's a very humiliating way to go mm-hmm. um every everything i mean he's stripped naked and then things go rapidly downhill from there and you know so you have all of these you have that factor piled on top of the, like you said, you can't look away. It camera stays on it, and it is just so visual and visceral that it, um, it is, it's very effective in the sense of what it tries to accomplish, and that goes back to that hopelessness uh, and creating that sense of hopelessness. And I think, you know, again, to swing it around to the game table, that without you don't, and I don't think you necessarily have to resort to you know, vivid descriptions, especially if your players aren't necessarily, you know, into that kind of thing, or if you personally aren't into that kind of thing. But I think that there are ways in which you can create that sense of, of hopelessness by going into some level of description uh, of what happens. Because even like in violence in our games, like you said, it just kind of happens and you move on, you move on to the next round. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the descriptions of that can go a long way to, uh, creating a certain type of uh, mood or feeling that you want to try and create. Yeah, the the violence for violence sake I think has a different effect on people, you know. If you are fighting somebody, you know, there's enemies involved, there's going to be violence, you know, violence happens. You shoot an arrow at someone and they hurt, they bleed. Okay. Or you swing a sword and you lop off a hand. You move on. You're trying to reach your goal. But for all intents and purposes, the goal of the tribe was food. And yet Mm -hmm. the way that they kill the deputy is not necessary to getting food. (laughs) Well, maybe that's how they clean humans. (laughs) Maybe. But I think that that helps evoke the the extra like oh this violence is different and and like uh we're in it now kind of feeling Mm -hmm. yeah not only are we going to kill you to scare you we're going to kill you and eat you as well you know top of both things yeah yeah and and to go back to what you were to go back to quickly what you were saying as well about like it being something that you know depends on your table and your players right i've I've played in a couple of, of pretty graphic horror games. Uh, I was in a podcast for one, too. And, you know, there were times when we would get to descriptions that were of this level, like of just the the situation, what was occurring in front of us or what was happening to even one of the players. Yeah. But importantly, we all had buy-in on that, and we all set that tone at the table. Like, this was okay. We, we were okay with this kind of content. And I think it's... It's, uh, it speaks to what you were saying, Chris, about how you have to be careful about how you present it to the player. You can use certain levels of violence and certain things to give you that sense of helplessness, but you don't have to go to this 
super high extreme level uh, of graphic <laughs> of graphic <laughs> description, description. Yeah. Uh, to make your point known to your players or to set the scene. Well, and sometimes right? less is more. So yeah, it can. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, we're coming up on about an hour, probably actually just slightly over. Um, I mean, I don't know. I know that you know we all on our various levels did enjoy the movie and we probably could continue talking about just how awesome the movie was, but uh, we probably should uh, cut this short uh, or cut this off at this point. Anyway, plus we have to, like we talked about earlier, we have to have time for the uh, uh, hug and plug. So first of all, good job, you guys. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I think you all, you all did great. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and thank you very much for, uh, you know, being this uh, lovely ad hoc group and, uh, I'm glad we're able to uh, talk about this, but uh, let's go around the uh, our virtual table here and uh, talk about uh, who we are one more time and uh, what current things we got going on. And uh, uh, Callie, why don't you go first? Actually, uh, all right, I'm Callie. I'm at AppleXSauce on Twitter. I'm currently DMing Storm King's Thunder with a group of friends. It's my first time DMing, and we've been at it about a year now. We uh, stream it on Twitch at twitch.tv slash riff and rabble, and uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. So this is your first time DMing, and you're doing it in, in essentially a public space. That's yes. awesome. That is, <laughs> that's, that is fantastic. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. That's awesome. We thought we'd jump feet first. <laughs> Just <laughs> jump right in the deep end. Nice. Uh, May, go ahead. Uh, well, I'm May. I am Liquid Fire, uh, two Qs, pretty much any, you know, social media out there. I mostly am a player. I play with Michael on Sundays in our Return to Greyhawk game. Um, I do DM a personal game at home for um, some people here. So that's kind of fun, but... Um, kind well, of fun. Kind of fun. It's it's actually really fun because uh, nobody can record what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's a bit more fun to be a little bit more loose. Um, but yeah, that's uh, what I have going on. Not too much. Okay. I know Michael doesn't do anything, so we'll just skip him. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> he's no. just the pretty. Yeah, 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 I'm here for my looks. That's why we're on a podcast. That's right. The what is it? The uh, uh, you have a face for radio and a voice for print. Yeah, yes, yes. I think that Uh, sounds about right. But go ahead, Michael. What about you, man? Uh, Well, I uh, I am loser MLW on most social media. Um, You can find me on Sundays with May at Return to Greyhawk on Twitch on the Greyhawk channel. Uh, you can also find me on Redemption, which is a Star Wars actual play podcast taking place around the Clone Wars. Uh, that's been running for about three years now. Uh, and that's on most of your podcatchers as Redemption. Uh, you can also find me on Shadow the Demon Lord podcast called uh, Tales of Blood and Stone. It is on hiatus at the moment, but we are, uh, we are hoping to come back uh, fierce and strong coming up soon. Uh, and uh, other than that, uh, little projects here and there. You'll, I, you can find me around. I like to do a lot of stuff with Chris too, so uh, you know we have we have done a couple. Of we've stuff. done a lot of projects yeah. together. Uh, we have something will projects, ven- it will quotes. eventually be coming up. So yes, uh, yes, uh, there's a Conan thing coming out at some point in the future. Yes, right, and actually, uh, yeah, seventy five percent of us were in that. That was yes. very cool. That's yes. a high percentage. It really is. <laughs> 
and for me, my name is Chris. Uh, you can find me at the Hussman at, on Twitter. It's all one word. Um, I currently am the GM, the Marshal, in a uh, Deadlands actual play called The Adventures of Young and Holt. And you can find that at youngandholt.com. Um, in addition to all the variety of things that I've um, done prior to this, uh, I've also my mo- other most recent project is My Quiet Apocalypse, which is a fictionalized actual play from the video game The Long Dark, um, where it basically describes in a fictional way, uh, in audio form, uh, people's efforts to survive in this uh, strange apocalypse that is uh, set in the game. So... Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, like Michael said, yeah, we got the little Conan thingy coming up there. And, um, I currently do not have a local group, uh, as I'm a recent transplant to Alaska and was part of the, um, uh, the hassle for getting us all properly connected, uh, to the start <laughs> of this thing. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thank you very much, uh, all three of you for uh, joining uh, for this uh, episode. And thank you folks for listening. Uh, please feel free to leave a comment. And of course, always um, RPG Academy appreciates your lovely five-star reviews on wherever you listen from. And yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, I would, if you haven't seen the movie, please go and watch it. Uh, I'm sure by now you've figured out what the content warnings are, but uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on it as well. So anybody else got anything else to say? Uh, besides definitely watch the movie it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, all right we are not a marvel film so we do not have any end credit scenes so this is it <laughs> thanks bye thanks Fortune, man, right on.